Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I have some good news for you. The hottest take. It's back. Oh, yeah. Monday through Thursday, four times a week, you hear from me, Chris Ryan, Sean Fantasy, Mallory Rubin, Wazdeen Lambrey, Van Lathan, Julie Lippman, many other ringer staffers. You get one take, you got to defend it to the death. Sports takes, pop culture takes, food takes, airplane takes. Oh, yeah. It's coming back. First episode drops August 29th. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I am all right, thanks Musa Kwonga. How are you? I'm actually really good. How are you? Yeah, yeah. Had another book translated? Or? No, but I, ha- I think I've perfected my Mediterranean couscous salad. It always takes me three attempts to perfect any new meal and I've now got it right. I've got it right now. I'm going to remember that if you ever invite me around. That's a, that'll be a long time coming. <laughs> no. Well, that took a turn. <laughs> Simon Agarf, a good place. Oh, no. uh, well, I'm glad you perfected your Mediterranean couscous salad. Listen, just we in take, time. We for take winter. our pleasures. We take our pleasures where we can. <laughs> a nice, take- warm, nice, warm, hearty meal for October. <laughs> the leaves are falling. The Mediterranean couscous salad comes out three months too late. No, but you do it with Ugandan smoked mackerel. That's the key. Oh, God. That's the key. <laughs> but I'm happy. Listen, do. you want to know I was happy. That's why I'm happy. Nice. Um, well, we hope everyone else is staying safe and staying well. And um, yeah, if you haven't subscribed to Writer's House yet, please go and find it. It should be on the podcast app of your choice. Maybe apart from Google Podcasts, because pff, don't know what's going on with them. Mm-hmm. But again, just a little reminder, I don't upload the podcasts. Other bits of admin, Musa Gwanga had a piece go up on the ringer about Tony Kroos and aging gracefully. Yes, yes. Uh, if there was ever a man who was not qualified to talk about aging gracefully, <laughs> it was Musa Gwanga. <laughs> should not have got that piece. <laughs> well, I can talk about regrets, so I was perfectly qualified <laughs> to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a, another dark turn. <laughs> Are we okay? We're okay, right? We're good, we're good, we're fine. The tears of a clown. (laughs) Uh, It's up on theringer.com forward slash soccer. Go and read it. It's very good. Thanks to Connor Nevins as ever for the great editing. Really appreciate it. Like the editor. Yeah. 
The only reason my pieces have remotely been readable is because of Connor. The vision I trust. Yeah. Yes. There's absolutely. always a moment when I send stuff off, I'm like, oh yeah, uh, what do you think? And it's always like, there's the anxiety of. <laughs> Connor's <laughs> only had one tick off Connor. It's What's a going mess, on? A trash Connor fire. hates yeah. it. Yeah. Connor hates it. <laughs> is there any other admin? I think that's good for now. I think we're good for now. So today we're going to start with the very, very bleak story of the Yates report, which was published this week, um, commissioned by US Soccer Federation and um, highlighting systemic and widespread and sustained and sustained accusations of serious sexual misconduct and abuse through the NWSL. That will obviously contain some pretty grim stuff. If you don't want to listen to that topic in the show notes, you should be able just to skip forward to the Champions League if you tap the time code. And then, yeah, we'll do the Champions League. We'll do, we're will do. we going to talk a lot about Sevilla and Dortmund, Jude Bellingham, Lopetegui losing his job. We'll run through the rest of the games quickly, maybe touch on some other stuff as well. So should we get into it after this? Let's do it. So a report has just been released by Sally Yates, the former Deputy Attorney General of the US, into allegations of sexual misconduct spanning several years in the NWSL. The key reporting on this has been done by Meg Linehan with Steph Yang for The Athletic, an outstanding report, and the summary of the situation uh, can be found at The Athletic. We'll, we'll throw that in for you right now. So essentially, two reports were commissioned in early October 2021. Off the back of Meg's reporting, the story that we talked about on Sadio, actually. Right, we've covered before, absolutely. So um, off the back of Meg's reporting, Early October 2021, um, two reports were commissioned, one by US Soccer, by Sally Yates, and the other one, which is ongoing NWSL and collaboration with NWSL Players Association, that's ongoing. And it was into allegations of misconduct, sexual misconduct by various NWSL coaches and general managers, including Paul Riley of the NC Courage and Paul Thorns, Christy Holly and Rory Dames. The Yates reports come out and... It's about 320 pages long and it's harrowing stuff. It's really harrowing yeah. stuff. And there's a couple of things I want to mention. So first of all, before going further, there will be those who will look at the findings report and go like, well, what next? Well, this is the, the real challenge is the NWSL has the power to act. Yeah. Everyone else is in kind of an advisory capacity. So it's important to remember when you see the allegations coming out and what's been admitted to uh, by the various organizations and individuals, that the NWSL basically has the onus on them to act. The things that really stand out in relation to this report is that senior members at the NWSL, so the executive director there, the US soccer president, USSF CEO, the head coach of the US women's national team, and the general counsel at the USSF were all aware to some degree of these allegations that were repeated over the mm-hmm. course of several years. The one thing I want to add before we get into the discussion of it all is it very much seems to me that the NWSL, which was set up off the back of the success of the women's national team at the US uh, 2012 Olympics, the key here is that it feels like this, is, this organization has been run a bit like a startup. So very little oversight in terms of human resources, safeguarding, all the rest of it. Safeguarding is a word we're going to keep going back to, I think, in this podcast in relation to the way that players have failed. There's a phrase you've always used, Ryan, duty of care. Yep. Um, and the duty of care has been absolutely absent for, what, a decade now in this context. But yeah, let's get into the conversation. 
Uh, well, I think that's a really good summary of it all. And I think, to be honest, I would personally like to swerve the 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 super yeah the specifics. specific details because yeah, they're yeah. really really horrible. They involve inviting players to hotel rooms late at night to quote suggestedly review film. It involves allegations and, and details of coaches groping players, uh, making threats like every time you misplace the pass, I'm going to touch you inappropriately, mm. sending lewd messages, sending sexual explicit photos. It also goes deeper than that back to aggressive shouting at play, at young players coming up before they even sign professional terms. It's, a, it's such a widespread, multi-layered, detailed uh, account of the complete systematic failure of protection of women's players in this state. Mm. The power of the people who had to come out and, and push people to do something about it. This is in a country that has had a multiple World Cup winning side mm. with some of the most famous players on the planet. And it took them to have to push people to, well, to yes. really, really get behind it for anyone to really take notice of this. Uh, some might say it's never too late to change and put in safeguards and placements, but no, actually, no, it is. It's too late. It still needs to be done. But players' it's lives and careers never have, been have happened. Affected in some cases, like you know, deeply damaged. I don't want to say destroyed because I I want to think that that there's some. But yeah, no. Let's be honest. Careers have been destroyed, and maybe some lives that we don't know about. And certainly in other other leagues with less scrutiny. It's it's really. I mean, Becky Sabrin came out and said it. You know, yeah. This has happened. It's not just the NWSL. This is across women's football and. Mm -hmm. You look at this and you think, my goodness, how much these players are achieving in spite of all of this. Yep. Because it's very, very clear that some of these titles have been won despite the very people who are in charge who are now claiming success for it. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Sydney LaRue did a couple of things, a couple of interviews that are quite cryptic a couple of years ago, talking about senior individuals in the American, in the US, in the US of soccer setup and talking about responsibility they could and should have taken. And it's all becoming clear now because she was on social media and she was basically like, yeah, this is what I was talking about. And it's really, really brutal because if you look at the report and I started reading it, so I read um, obviously the summary and then the- Yeah, again, just to remind, we'll, we'll post the link to the report in a follow-up tweet. You're reading the report. The thing that really stands out is years of allegations, years of going and doing everything correctly, and getting polite responses, swift, polite responses. Yes, we're reviewing it for almost a decade. Can I read this, this quote from the, please do, well, yeah, this, please this do. piece from the report? It says, both US soccer and the league's owners failed to institute the most basic of workplace protections, the report says. For most of the league's 10-year existence, it has not had an anti-harassment policy, an anti-retaliation policy, or a no fraternization policy, and it did not have ways for players to report inappropriate behavior. Teams also largely lacked a human resource department and do not conduct proper due diligence when hiring coaches. This resulted in the quote, systematic abuse of players. Now, I think this is something that, this is something that we've touched on a number of times. I think we touched on it about, around when we were talking about Meg's piece for The Athletic. Mm. This is a league, for example, much like in the women's game in Europe, where the salaries are not huge overall. Players are fighting for their careers. They're not, they don't have the stability of a top-level Premier League men's footballer, you know? Mm. Even if you're the best in your league, you still don't. If, right. you're, if you're fighting for a place and you're worried about 
maintaining a career, the fact that that position has been abused consistently by multiple men in different clubs, some of which has been known to the organisations who have quietly moved them on only for these people to get other jobs at other clubs in the league, it's inexcusable. It is the same level. In terms of the level of abuse, the systemic nature, it felt like elements of like the Catholic Church scandal. Yeah. In, in terms of the abuse, these dominant positions, people knowing and turning away from it. You know, this, this one section from the um, report by, by Steph Yang and Meg Linehan most recently, I just want to read this out. NWSL Executive Director, Cheryl Bailey, USS Soccer President, Sunil Gulati, USSCO, Dan Flynn, USWNT Head Coach, Jill Ellis, and USSF General Counsel, Lydia Walker, all of whom have since departed these roles, were all at some point given some level of information about Paul Riley creating a hostile environment as a coach. These people all knew to some degree what was going on. And it's not about legacy because it's actually, it's bigger than that. But fundamentally, that against their names is a terrible indictment. It is a Mm -hmm. terrible indictment, Ryan. Having to forge a career in a sport that you love where the financial circumstances are adverse, where you're not given the commercial opportunities you deserve, and then having to contend with that, where people are actively rooting against you or your best interests, I cannot imagine. You know, the commentary from people about some US players going out, how it's hard to take pride in their achievements. The most successful women's team of all time, and it's hard for them to take pride in their achievements. That is absolutely, there aren't words for that, actually. Um, and of course, you know, your mind skips then to, okay, what's the, what's the action that can be taken? Well, action can be taken, but what about that decade, the lost decade? Mm. Because even those that won paid a huge cost. And that's to say nothing of the ones that drifted away from the game. They were put off from the game, that were warned away from it. Merritt Paulson, who's the majority owner of the Portland Thorns and Armin Whistler of the Chicago Red Stars said that they'd be stepping aside until the NWSL and NWSL Players Association investigation was complete. Uh, Wednesday night, the Red Stars Board of Directors moved Whistler as chairman. Portland also fired President of Soccer Gavin Wilkinson and the President of Business Mike Golub. In the meantime, taking this from a a couple of summary pieces on the SPM, the, the Yates report recommended specific actions from US soccer. Those include changing coaching licenses from a one-time diploma to an accreditation program that requires regular recertification and requires coaches to disclose new complaints and misconduct. Enforcing existing requirements for licenses required by NWSL coaches, requiring that the NWSL conduct annual training on abuse, sexual misconduct, harassment and retaliation, revoking the licenses of anyone who commits misconduct or fails to act on misconduct, Requiring that the NWSL conduct swift investigations into abuse and bar teams from investigating themselves and that all owners, staff and players cooperate with such investigations. Requiring the NWSL to conduct player surveys and maintain a confidential reporting line for allegations of abuse and enforcing its professional league standards and imposing meaningful penalties on leagues like the NWSL that fail to meet these standards. Um, The US Soccer Federation also said that it's played, made some changes with regards to player safety, including establishing a new office of participant safety to oversee the Federation's conduct policies and reporting mechanisms, 
publishing records from Safe Sports decentralized disciplinary database to publicly identify individuals in the sport who have been disciplined, suspended, or banned, mandating a uniform minimum standard for background check for all US soccer members at every level of the game, including youth soccer, to comport with the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee standards. Uh, there's also been a new committee of its board of directors to address the sport's recommendations going forward. Do you know what makes me angry about all of this? This all sounds great, and this is no disrespect yeah. to the new, the new uh, measures being taken. I'm just really angry because the people who perpetrated this abuse and enabled it got what they wanted. Look how much bigger their names are. I'm sure their like, bank accounts have swollen in that time. They've got their endorsements post their career. They're on their business tours now, talking about executive leadership and how to build successful organisations. And the really messed up thing about this, not only have they perpetrated and, and enabled the abuse that they wanted for years, because it suited them. They've also created, maybe in a lot of people, a sense of this is what it takes. This is what you have to endure. This is what a workplace is just meant to be like. It's just like that. That's no, that's not, you don't need to win that way. This is why I get very nervous. And I've watched, I've not sort of, not to single out individual, you know, individual cases, but I'm very concerned about the message that's sent to athletes about what it takes to win and what has to be endured to win. You know, I was talking to some friends, I'll give a positive example about, you know, like, what superstars you'd like to play with? And I was, you know, looking at sort of basketball, someone like LeBron James. LeBron James is someone who you win and it's, it's fun. It seems like it's fun winning, right? It seems like it's a pretty good collegiate atmosphere. There are multiple ways. Or something like Steph Curry, for example, with the Golden State Warriors. There's someone who, it's humble, it's a family environment, there's community sport. It's a better environment to win in. And I'm really nervous about the message this has sent for a generation of women footballers about actually to get on, you have to just kind of go with it because there's no support. This can't That's, ever happen again. Yeah, the, yeah it's, 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 it shouldn't to me. allowed yeah. to happen in the first place. And the fact that like these players, these, these poor players have suffered, have like looked at what it takes to get, to, to be heard. Mm. That's the thing about it. It's not even to like get anything done. It's just to literally be fucking heard. And to be, and, and to be happy in your workplace, to be safe in your yeah. workplace. Yeah, to yeah. be safe, like the bare minimum for anyone, anywhere, is to be able to work safely and without that threat. Yeah. And the NWSL and the USSF have completely failed their players yeah. again. Because they've made this something that you have to factor in. I hope that everyone who is responsible is held to account. And I just hope that the players, they notice a change straight away in their environment and that no player ever has to do go through this again. Yeah. All right, man. Do you want it is today? What day is it? Na, 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 na. <laughs> na, 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 na. Although you may notice that that is not the theme tune to the World Cup qualifiers, which is also taking place today. The final, um, the semi-final of the Women's World Cup qualifiers in Europe. Portugal, Belgium, Wales, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Scotland versus Austria. So they're also tonight, as well as the Europa League and the Conference League. Also, shout out to the MLS final weekend of the regular season this weekend and it goes into playoffs and uh, may talk a little bit about that next week. Also, NWSL, they're into the playoffs. It's all, it's like playoff, playoff time. It's all happening. High intensity. I would like to start, if it's okay, with Sevilla against Dortmund because... My only criticism of starting Sevilla is I want to end up in Sevilla one day. <laughs> I thought you wanted to end up in Lisbon on a golf buggy. I'm very changeable. Do you know what? If, if people don't know what we're talking about, that sentence is going to sound super weird. That's true, actually. 
Well, hang on a minute. You must end up in Lisbon on a golf buggy. What the hell? <laughs> what the- <laughs> Let's leave it esoteric. Let's leave it. <laughs> Sorry, I should, just to quickly explain the context. It's not going to be too esoteric. <laughs> no, um, no, don't. Don't explain the context. <laughs> okay. They can go back and do the research. <laughs> oh, no. You weren't here from the beginning. You miss out on the in-jokes. Oh, no. Um, well, I think we, people know. Anyway, long story short, we, we were going to do a, uh, we, we did a theoretical all-star weekend yeah. in lockdown. One of our silly conceptual episodes. And it ended up with Musa and Clarence Seydorf both wearing flat caps, driving around Lisbon on a golf buggy. Yeah. Yeah. Flat cap gang. That's, so if you ever hear any references to flat cap gang, flat cap gang are Musa Gwanga and Clarence Seydorf. And they've just, there's a new documentary that just literally just came out last week with Clarence Seydorf going through all his kits, all his favourite kits from his playing days with an incredible flat cap on. Oh no. <laughs> Perfect. 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 All right. Anyway, let's go to Seville. Let's do it. Sevilla won, Dortmund four, mm. and a result which cost Yulin Lopetegui his job. Yeah. We'll touch on that in a little bit, but Jude Bellingham got man of the match again. He scored an unbelievable goal, and this was a mega fun game. I mean, apart from maybe like the last 15 minutes where it was, the game kind of died off a little bit. But a super, super fun game, and one which I think Sevilla were extremely unfortunate to go in 3-0 at the break. It was just nice to see Dortmund being ruthless. Ah, but were they? Were they ruthless? Well, <laughs> well, they scored. Well, they, they at least put the ball in the net. They with more regular. I mean, I mean look, at, look at the game against Köln, for example, where they didn't capitalise. Yeah. Very true. And Guerrero, very fitting that he opened the scoring because he has been... Amazing goal. He's been a player in that team that we always... Maybe it's the, it's the Michael Carrick thing of like, we say he's underrated so often that he's actually rated. But a very, very good left back. And, and this is no disrespect to Dortmund and maybe respect him for holding on to him for so long. That is a player that multiple clubs should have been going really, really hard after for a very long time. He pops up with amazing goals every now and again as well. And this one was so good early on, six minutes in. Assist from Jude Bellingham. And then um, and Nezri had a, a red card rightly overturned. Poor Sally Erskine, man. When he was running through uh, with two other Dortmund players flanking him who were both offside so he couldn't give them the ball and his legs just would not keep up with him. I was just like, can relate. Can I this say that? This is exactly one of the reasons you know, it's why funny, I you probably should not play football. Last night's like. Champions League action was hilarious. <laughs> genuinely, it's one of the funniest nights of football I've watched in such a long time because a similar thing happened, RB Leipzig Celtic. Yeah. Three of them on the break. <laughs> I was crying. I was like, what is, what is wrong? Do you know what it's like? Do you know what it's, watching, there was there were a couple of players last night, I was watching them, I was thinking, as a kid, you were definitely the kind of child that would not get out of the, parent, the kitchen their parents are cooking. Like that kid is just like buzzing around and is doing too much. Like last night I was watching, I was like, you're all doing too much. There was just so much stuff like that. And actually I've got to say, I'm only joking because Leipzig's attack at Celtic was, was really spectacular for a lot of the game. Mm. And what was really nice to watch uh, in terms of the common themes last night, there were a lot of teams playing with attacking freedom. Mm. Um, not just on this match day, but the, the not, well, sort of not just last night, but the night before that as well. So the, this round of games really saw some great attacking. Anyway, sorry, back to Seville. All of Dortmund's goals were pretty lovely, actually. Jude yeah. Bellingham's goal was great, and he ran straight over to Edin Tezic, who, I don't know, those two seem very, very tight. He just seems to have a really, really good connection with a lot of those players, and especially a lot of those younger players. And we'll touch on Bellingham a little bit later, because I think we're gonna, we want to talk about him in detail a bit. But it was just such an amazing goal, and he was just absolutely everywhere all game and again I think it's just it's easy to forget he's 19 
He's still a teenager. And he's running, he's running Champions League games yes. on a regular, against elite opposition. Well, it is Champions League, so it's by definition elite. The thing about this goal as well, um, Sid Lowe was commented on it and I said, this reminds me of like Pete Peter Beardsley. It's like Peter Beardsley, the dribbling style, or like a Michael Laudrup. And the reason I mention that, and it, you know, I don't say that with, um, I don't say that lightly, is because there's assets to his game where if you look at him, you think, if you just did that, you'd be elite. But it's that he does the multiple things. He does multiple things. Someone, a Liverpool fan I was talking to the other day, uh, most sure on Anfield Rap, we were talking about Bellingham and they were asking what kind of player he was for Liverpool, what he'd be. And I said, well, you look at Wijnaldum, Wijnaldum like fully unleashed, but like a more dynamic version. And this is no disrespect to Wijnaldum, who I think is actually still a bit underrated, but like a fully liberated Wijnaldum with a technical level that is absolutely like off the scale. He can play any position. Like, he's the kind of player that, let's say he ended up at like a Man City, for example, oh Pep would have God. him playing, Pep would have him playing in certain games as a nine, if he had to, as a second striker, as a winger, as whatever. Like, this is generally a player that can play in all six positions if he had to, beyond the, like beyond the back four. Like if he had to play anywhere, he'd do it. And knowing someone like Pep, he'd end up with him as a, a centre-back in a three, in the middle of a three. Like he's genuinely that good. I'm not saying that to kind of sound like I'm, I'm over-egging it. It's just that every single time I watch Bellingham, there's something new. There's a dimension of, like we knew he could dribble, we knew he could finish, but I'm not sure I've ever seen him play like a winger before. That makes sense. Does that make sense? You'd be hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find a more complete midfielder, especially at that age. Yeah, in that bracket, there's not one more complete. I just there isn't. I can't think of one. It's the game management. It's the the kind of attitude and the mentality. I think this to go up against. Like he, we said this before though. How he never gets bullied. He's he never got bullied last season or the season before when he broke through that Dortmund side. He was straight away, even at seventeen, he was standing up to to players who you just thought, wow, this kid just doesn't give a shit. And yeah. And not in a, you know, like some, when hot prospects come on the scene and sometimes they get a bit gobby mm. um, because they know they're going to be backed up by the players. And it wasn't that, it wasn't like that with Jude when no, he broke through. It, it was, was more like authority. actually like get your fucking hands off me or get your hands off my teammates kind of thing. Like, yeah, there's no committee for this. Y- yeah. There's no like, I don't need anyone else actually. I'm going to sort this myself. And when you have that with the passing ability the game management ability, the ability to run with the ball, the ability to drive, the ability to score goals, the ability to assist, the ability to head the ball, which he is still quite good at, and his stamina. Every time I watch Jude, even in a game where he's maybe a six out of 10, there are things that he does that I just, I genuinely can't believe I'm seeing that in a 19 year old. And I wrote a thing on Twitter, which you literally don't know how high ceiling will be. Yes. Yes. And I don't think that's an over-exaggeration. We knew it was high. I think it's even, high, even higher than we thought it was. And we still thought it was pretty high. I'm going to start calling him Jude Hullet. Just because. <laughs> All right, I'm done. I'm done. Let's stop Just- it now. Let's stop this podcast right now. <laughs> only because, only because. Although they differ physically, just because, I mean, Rude Hullet in terms of just the physical, there was a physical strength aspect that was, it was the shoulders really that made him something else. But in terms of the versatility, the elegance, the vision, the authority, the composure, if anyone goes, oh, Rude Hullet never really watched him, I'm like, actually, the closest thing in terms of versatility, composure, touch, vision at that age, at that age, 
is Jude Bellingham. Like, I just haven't seen anything that, to come into a team and assert authority, and the thing about the Terzic celebration, I love that you mentioned this because when he ran to Terzic, you know, you see that with some players and it's a certain thing. With this, I think it's because Bellingham genuinely understands and he has understood from day one what they're trying to build at Dortmund, right? No matter how long, how much longer he's at Dortmund, it's two years, five years, he goes to some, whatever it is, Bellingham understands what it takes to support a club, like to be the talisman. He had to do that for Birmingham for a bit, right? And it's incredible that he did that. A lot of people laughed when Birmingham did that thing about retiring his shirt. Mm. They didn't understand what Bellingham was. And if you look at Dortmund, actually in Birmingham, lots of parallels in terms of industrial region, blue collar, um, hardworking towns, you know, all of that, like it, Bellingham gets it. And most players of that age, and I include like players that have won actually even slightly more than Bellingham. Most players that age have a kind of supporting cast, like a Camavinga, right? Camavinga's there at Madrid and he's amazing Camavinga. But at the same time, nobody would argue that it's on his shoulders. And Chiromania as well. Those are players who actually are being allowed to develop at a more natural pace. Bellingham, in a strange way, the pressures have been put on him would be, would be utterly unfair on almost any other player. Mm. And he carries it so lightly or seems to that it's, it's remarkable actually. He's extremely mature. He's extremely, like you see that in post-match interviews. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, even going after, going after a referee after a game against Bayern, it's probably unwise, but it shows a level of almost seniority that he feels that he has already, which I think is just. There are young people that pick a like, fight I'm, like I'm that. Sorry, just, yeah. I remember at the time when yeah. that happened, we were a bit like, not absolutely incorrect in his point of view because it was, it was out there. But at the same time, unwise yeah. to do it yeah, because absolutely. you're going to get a slap on the wrist of it. But that is, that in a way, when you have that kind of like, not of a fuck, I'm going to speak my mind thing. I kind of, I kind of, like, I, I kind of respect it. Do you remember that Pep moment? The, the moment they really respected Pep, the players, when Pep came out and went yeah, after. Which one's, his Marine- mic, which one's his camera? Yeah. I'm going to call him Jose because he calls me Pep. Right. And this is the thing about Bellingham uh, in terms of, his career direction, destination, all the rest of it. Um, he's remarkable. And the question is what the, actually, wait, very quick, before we go to Bellingham's direction, this very quick shout out for- uh, you Can we shout out the other two goals? Yeah, Makoko, Makoko <laughs> with an astonishing assist. The touch. Makoko is coming. Makoko is on his way. This is the thing. Dorman fans who saw Holland leave, obviously that's very sad. And at the same time, when you have Makoko coming through, don't worry about it. Listen, Dortmund usually struggle without Royce. And yeah, they lost to Köln. But the thing is, I think a lot of people, I think even including ourselves, forget that they signed Karim Adeyemi. <laughs> and how many yes. people wanted Adeyemi. And, who, he, and how he absolutely torched loads of people in the Champions League. He's brilliant. So yeah, Adeyemi and Brandt getting the other two. Um, the, yeah, that touch that Bakoku did when he kind of lifted it over the defender and had a shot which came back for Adeyemi. It was, just, it was like Carnu or something, wasn't it? Do you know it, was it was unbelievable. It, it looks like, yeah. it was like, it, have you- Carnu or Bergkamp. I, I remember the first, I remember the, well, I once went to Silverstone and stood there for, I think it was like a practice session or qualifying for, for the British Grand Prix for F1. I've watched F1 for years on TV and I remember mm. seeing an actual F1 car change direction at that speed and my eyes kind of were just like, that's oh, not possible what you've just seen. <laughs> Do you know right? what? That's actually not possible what you've just seen. <laughs> Physics doesn't allow, that shouldn't happen. And that's exactly what I thought when I saw that Makoko touch. I was just like, whoa, like I literally <laughs> had to do a double check. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. You know, you know when you sneezed and you kind of, 
the the impact after you sneeze, everything goes a little bit like for a second. <laughs> that, that's what happened with my eyes. <laughs> that's not meant to be physically or spiritually possible. No, it's yeah. not. And but Makoko's Makoko's on his way. Makoko's on his way. That's a yeah, spectacular man. player. So Jude, amazing. I don't even think the sky is the limit for Jude. The only the only limit is the right choice of club, actually. With and when I say right choice of club, I mean the choice includes Dortmund, of course. Yeah. And Jude's remaining at Dortmund. It includes the other clubs that are in the mix because wherever he would move, and this is not to say that he would like, they're not obvious options actually beyond Dortmund. The other, the big clubs are in unusual disarray. None of those clubs to me, to be honest, are particularly appealing. There's a place that he'll slot right in. Arsenal. I'm not saying where. It's Arsenal. It's Arsenal. Well, I, the Arsenal fan didn't say that. The Manchester United fan said that. So that's interesting. The Arsenal fan, for those, listen, for those listening to this podcast, obviously it's not, it's not a video podcast. Ryan's eyes said it and they've been saying it for a long time. Um, we said this before we started recording and the thing about Jude, and I think we said the same thing for Holland actually, but I think Holland just got a little bit impatient. Mm, and mm. I think with Jude, because of his position within that squad already and his relationship with Terzic. Also the Bundesliga right now is But this is fun. the thing, I it's think it's spicy. such it's such a great place for Jude to keep developing. And with all of this responsibility that he already has at such a young age, but also that comes with a slight removal of pressure or the pressure that it would be if he was a, if he was at a top four Premier League club. Mm. He's going to be England captain. He's going to be the captain of a club that he joins after Dortmund. He could stay at Dortmund for another three, four years and then just have his pick of any club in Europe. Right. That's absolutely right. There's no rush. I mean, unless someone comes in with like 150 million euros and Dortmund are like, holy shit, right, yeah, we need to move him along. But and to be honest, at current prices, that would be, they'd be undervaluing him, the current, the current market value. A current market value, 150 million for Jude Bellingham, you've not done negotiation well. Yeah, but the way the pound's tanking at the moment, that's about 285 million pounds. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Got to get it quick. Got to get your offering quick if you're paid in pounds. Oh, goodness. The result cost Yulin Lopetegui's job. Yeah. Not hugely, well, surprising in one sense because of how, how well he has actually done at Sevilla. Mm. Con- continuing to qualify for the Champions League, winning the Europa League in 2020? 20, yeah, 20, yeah. Highest ever points total. Flirted with a, a knock at the title. They had a... Ch- they did. The nil-nil with Real. Yeah. The penalty, the Rakitic, which, which you know, Rakitic the only important penalty I think he's ever missed. Um, it was a little bit of a joke, wasn't it? Like, Sevilla could actually win the league <laughs> and then it just all went a bit. Yeah, there was a moment though. There was definitely a moment. There was with definitely one, a moment. With one extra player in, in, whichever, in whichever key position, they could have done it. Um, there. There's a lot of rumours about him going to Wolves. That's a good look for Wolves. He, if anyone could unlock unlock those attacking players. I think it's someone like Lopetegui. Because they do have pieces at Wolves. And I think the thing that hurt Sevilla this season is that they just didn't re- recruit super good after losing quite a few key players. Mm. And yeah, they just, I don't know, man. They both needed a change, to be honest. Yeah. There was and a really like sad thing about Sampaoli back. There's a really sad thing about that. Yeah, Sampaoli might return. There's a, there's a really sad thing about um, the way it all ended. Like, Lopetegui being in a press conference going, yeah, I'm coach of Sevilla, but I won't be this time tomorrow. And then like Twitter, like the Sevilla Twitter announcing it. And it, it was just kind of a bit, it just, it was a bit abrupt. Um, apparently he'd been told to say goodbye 
before the game. Yeah, you could tell after the game he did a little quick wave around everyone. And I really sad. Like, it's, look, it's, sackings. It's, it's so strange to be a football manager because sacking is part of it, right? But some departures are more poignant and maybe a bit sadder than others. Um, and this was maybe, this was definitely one of them because, you know, Sevilla are now monarchs in the Europa League. It's, it's almost their birthright. It's so funny how that, mm. you know, like how some, some towns are famous for certain genres of music. And if you go there, you're going to hear the best music there. Sevilla and the Europa League, like the UEFA Cup, they just had that bond from the beginning, from the inception. And it's really, it's really incredible he returned the trophy to them. Um, and it looks like he'll be remembered fondly there. And I'm really happy that he got, you know, as sad as the sacking was for him, I'm really happy he got his moment with Sevilla to restore his reputation after all the Madrid stuff and the Spain stuff, because that was really ugly by the end. So he needed this, this three years, regardless of how it ended. I think it's restored his reputation. Um, and there's quite a bit of that going around in Europe at the moment. You look at someone like Marco Rosa, for example, who's really had a couple of tough, you know, has had a couple of tough years. And now you look at Leipzig and he's back to form. He's looking great again. He's looking, and I think his name is going to start to be mentioned in those circles again. So I'm really yeah, happy yeah. for Lopetegui and, and Rosa. Just the work they've done in the last few months. Um, anything you want to shout quickly? Quick shout for Chelsea. Oba getting another goal. And, mm, uh, but it looks like Fofana left on crutches. Uh, which is worrying for them. Uh, they beat Milan 3-0 at Stamford Bridge. We mentioned Leipzig beating Celtic 3-1. Uh, Golashi went off with a nasty-looking knee injury in this game. Yeah, that's bad. Up for several months, this thing. Salzburg beating Dinamo Zagreb. Uh, Real Madrid beating Shakhtar. But Shakhtar did really, really well and probably... Could have got 2-2. Two, two. They, they really could have. I mean, the XG suggests that it was Real Madrid domination, but there were a couple of chances that Shakhtar had where they really could have done better. But... The fact that they're hanging with Real Madrid and they're second in that group, remember still. To be honest, when have they not hung with Real Madrid? They're true. always hanging with them. Yeah, 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 they really are. <laughs> Shout out to Real Madrid. It's horrible. They always, always yeah. give them the toughest time, yeah. Uh, two Didn't more they for beat Hall, them with like, all those players out with COVID? Remember that? They had like 10 players yeah, yeah, out with COVID. Yeah. <laughs> at Madrid. At, at Madrid. Madrid, yeah. Man City beating Copenhagen 5-0. Two more for Holland. And Alvarez with a lovely goal coming on as well. Well worked goal. They've just got scary options there. they do as wild the depth Benfica won PSG won Messi with a lovely lovely goal in this game oh uh, the way they put that together yeah the way they constructed oh, that was lovely but this yeah. was a really good game and Benfica could have could have nicked it yes yes putting in a strong showing again um, actually I just want to say very quickly on just to jump back to the Madrid game they have now scored two of the best team goals I've seen in the Champions League for a very long time mm. they've done it this year so that the, the one they got of Valverde against Celtic and also Last night, Vinicius against uh, Shakhtar. If you get a chance to watch that, then do. It's an incredible team goal, the way they put it together. Um, but yeah, really impressive. Benfica just so astute, so smart. And what's amazing about them is that they're a team you can't really pull away from. Like they're just so well coached um, and they're always a really strong opposition. Uh, again, you mentioned uh, Chelsea's win over Milan. Reese James is outstanding there. Milan just really disappointing. I know they had a lot of absentees, but Matteo Benetti pointed it out. He said, look, um, of ESPN, he said, look, it's, we know they've got absentees, but really a disappointing lack of, a disappointing lack of, um, of resistance there. Yeah. From a Pioli team, that's a surprise. But Potter, again, like, yeah, man. Rolneck Potter is, he's a problem. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely overscoring against his old club. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, Juve beat Maccabi High for 3-1 uh, lovely goal by Vlaovic Vlaovic is finishing sometimes it's just like 
It's almost automatic. Yeah, yeah, very much. Exactly. Um, the and then Tuesday's games, right. I'm going to save the, the most dangerous for last, but uh, Eintracht Spurs 0-0 in Frankfurt. Not a good game. Uh, Jonathan Lewis' piece on that is a, is a bit, a little bit, a little bit cheeky. Spicy, it was, it was, it was. I was actually, I was actually at the game that he, I was actually at the gig that he referenced in his piece. Yes, I, I, I saw I that and I was like, it. <laughs> it's all love, Jonathan, it's all love. <laughs> uh, Marseille coming from behind to beat Sporting 4-1 in an empty velodrome. They're being, uh, they had to play that game behind closed doors because of the trouble against Eintracht and they have to, I think they're just one of the North stand, I think is closed where the ultras are for the Spurs game as well. But um, Alexi Sanchez with an accidental goal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Inter beating Barca 1-0 at San Siro. Chalanoglu with a lovely goal. But the thing about this goal, which I want people to go back and look at, was DeMarco's first time crossfield ping earlier on in the move, which is absolutely unbelievable. <laughs> it's so casual. Did you see it? I didn't see it. No, no, oh no. Oh my God. Like, I was probably... watching the Napoli game. And it probably <laughs> wouldn't have even shown up on the goal because it was right back in the move and then DeMarco turns up to lay it off to Chalinoli later in the move but it was just like it was it was like punched oh I love it but the ball came across him first time and he just drilled it left foot cross field it was so good oh, oh I love I love those passes I love it do we need to talk about the VAR stuff you know what I think actually no I don't want to about the, the, the um, VAR stuff for the bus the bus game because I think that Barcelona's challenges are wider than VAR. And although, <laughs> yeah. I think, I, although I think that they were unfortunate in that respect, I think that Bartomeu. sometimes... <laughs> yeah, but I think sometimes when you get caught up in that stuff, like I think Barcelona just have a problem with knitting that attack together. And it's ironic because Lewandowski's gone from a position where at Bayern at sometimes he had to drag the attack together to one where at Barcelona he's having to do something again, even with all the players they have at their disposal in attack. Mm. And I'm not sure, not to name names, I'm not sure. I don't like a fit. I don't like the fit of some of those pieces in Barcelona's attack at the moment. Yeah, they've also um, missed Frankie Dion, which I think is, uh, has been a little bit of a miss. Yeah, there's really bad like injuries. That ability to drive, but Kunde and Araujo, mm. these are these are bad injuries. These are, I also think Barca should have got something from the game. So. Yeah, yeah, I, think I agree. It's an easy one. Yeah, they lost the game. It'll be an easy one to chalk up. They have, they have to be into that Camp Nou next week. These yeah. have to. Yeah. Uh, Bayern beating Victoria Pilsen in the other game in that group 5-0. Bayern's, Bayern's line is very nice. Played 3-1-3. Scored nine, conceded none. So obviously nine goal difference, nine points. It just looks very nice. Yes. Strong aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Club Brugge beat Atleti 2-0 and we're, we're good value for it. Uh, Antoine Griezmann missed a penalty, hit the bar reminiscent of the Champions League final one that he had for Atleti. And com German commentary said, basically, even the bar is for Club Brugger. Oh, wow. Brutal. Yeah. Brugger out in front on nine points. The rest of the teams in that uh, group are all on three. And loads of them are struggling, including Leverkusen, who'd lost 2-0 in Porto and had a goal ruled out for 1-0, rightly so, at the beginning. Patrick Schick missed a penalty, but Gerardo Seuane has gone and he's been replaced by Jabby Alonso in a move that a few people got in touch and said this is very, very Stadio-esque. It's actually, it's actually not. Oh, really? 
No, he wouldn't join a Bundesliga club that was one of the one of the few clubs that was allowed to circumvent the fifty plus one rule. Just <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't happen. I did. I do like. I I did like this actually. I did like this move. Um, I like it for uh, Chabi Alonso. Um, I just want to see Chabi. Yeah, I just want him to. I just want to see him manage. Get the best at these players. Yeah, 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 yeah. Should we touch on that maybe after his first game a little bit more? Yeah, let's or, do it. Let's, let's see. Well, let, let's see. Let's see what he what he does first. But it's um, it's an exciting appointment. No, it's sad because there were always there were there were moments where you thought, with one better result, it could mm-hmm. have gone to another level, but they never seem to show resilience and adversity. They're very very good at. There's a couple of teams. There's a couple of teams like that in the Premier League you've, you've seen where they're really, really good when they're up, mm. but they don't have that. Um, they don't bounce back well. They don't win enough games when they're playing like far below their best, and they never quite mastered the art of that. They never quite mastered the art of extracting results when they were poor. But whenever you saw them win a good game, that's. I. I it was almost weird. I, I kind of worried about them because whenever I saw them win games and they were exciting, I thought to myself. You make hard work of good victories. If that yeah. makes sense. Um, so yeah, if, if anything, they weren't, they weren't boring enough. If that makes sense. Yeah, uh, but a shame. It's a shame. Yeah, it's going to be intriguing to see Jabby there in Group A. We're saving the saving the best for last. Mm. Liverpool two, Rangers nil. Lovely free kick from Trent Alexander Arnold. Beautiful free kick, actually. Who has been scrutinised? Yeah, and Darwin Nunes was just absolutely hell bent on just smacking the ball. At, Alan McGregor all game <laughs> wasn't it it was just like a knock Mal McGregor and he's just like <laughs> it would have been knock Mal me if I'd been there <laughs> I would have made harder work of it but it was it was very much just like have that have it again have another he's, one he's, he's having a bit of um, a difficult time Darwin Nunez uh, do you know what I think he'll be fine no no and of course he will of course he will and also I want to mention something the Athletic did because they've obviously they're reporting um, we mentioned uh, for Meg Linehan and also with Steph Yang coming up. We'll talk about that in a bit. It's been fantastic on the NWSL stuff, but they've also had a really great report into pressures of playing in football. I think Daniel mm. Taylor was in charge of it and over 100 ex-players. And one of the things they mentioned was about how football is harder. Just over half said that football is, is harder being a football today than it was in the old days. Um, and the, the, the reason I think 60% mentioned was social media. Mm. And... Darwin Nunez is definitely a player who social media has made, I think, football harder for because it's just that level of scrutiny. It's the comparison. It's Holland versus Nunez. It's all of that. And like, if Nunez was playing up front for Man City, he'd be scoring goals, mm-hmm. like in a, in a large volume. Maybe not the same volume that Holland is because Holland is Holland, but he'd be scoring goals at high volume. And I, I said this before on the podcast, but when a team has a lot of moving parts, the strikers often suffer the most. Um, so yeah, I just want to sort of throw that out there again because I think it's worth repeating because I just saw a lot of the kind of Nunez chat again, the Darwin chat. I thought, you know what? Let me just like throw that out there and say, look, Liverpool are under construction and it's going to be hard for him, especially hard. So yeah, throw that out there again. Uh, but yeah, great win for Liverpool. They needed that. Uh, but the Napoli most man. exciting. Yes. Oh my. Napoli are legit. I don't think there's a scarier side in Europe at the moment. Like I, 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 I genuinely think that. I love you mentioned this. If, actually, if, if everyone, if if you sat, if you surveyed every single manager in Serie A or European competition, who do you not want to face the most at the moment, or who would you 
be a little bit wary of. I think certainly not loads a of them say Napoli. In a knockout, certainly not. They are absolutely mesmerising at the moment. No, they're not mesmerising because that sounds too nice. They're too... They, they're, no, they are. They're spellbinding. No, they it's are not. It's not. It's you, not. It's more destructive. It's like, like watching Cloverfield. <laughs> it's 5-0 and then the head of the Statue of Liberty rolls past. And you're just yes. like, ah, ah, <laughs> They're terrifying. This is the thing. Shout out to Spalletti because when I wrote this piece, and I mentioned this on Twitter, when I wrote a piece talking about Napoli's title ambitions, none of the players I mentioned in that piece as key players were on the pitch for the 6-1 defeat of Ajax. None of them. Osimhen was out. Insigne has been sold. Mertens has moved on. Like, this Napoli that Spalletti has got, what's incredible about it is that he's somehow got the existing players to an even higher level. So Zielinski was a player who actually was not getting his props enough, even last year. That has absolutely changed now. The goal score from Zielinski is outstanding. Lobotka's brilliant. And Gisa has had a step up like you've very rarely seen. Very few footballers I've seen go from where he was before with Fulham to what he's doing for Napoli now. And Dombele is coming off the bench. Raspadori has been balling out for Italy and Napoli. They have depth. They have fluidity. They have swagger. And the thing about Napoli before, right? They've had this destructive streak before where they would be a team where you'd be like, listen, if there was a team that could unleash something on you in 20 minutes and take a game away from you, it's either Atalanta or Napoli. And at one point it was just purely Napoli. It was Atalanta. Uh, but basically whenever Atalanta play Napoli, it's like, it's a goal fest, right? But Napoli had that thing where they could put four goals in 25 minutes. But they wouldn't necessarily sustain it. What they've got now, what they've added is match control. That is really exciting for them. So yeah, in terms of, I was thinking about this the other day and I was you know, getting ahead of myself as I do and thinking, Champions League knockout phase, they are one of the few teams that could take anyone. Yeah, no one wants, no one wants them. No, no one's a part of that. It's a smoke. No, no it's a smoke nobody right. wants. Yeah. Because also you don't know what team you're going to be playing. With those options, they have Raspadori, Lozano, Quaritzkalia, Elmas, Osimena mentioned as well, like Politano. That's like six players that die. And what are they going to give you? I don't want any part of it. None, none at all. The main reason I am super happy that Arsenal Island didn't make Champions League football is that it revo- the worst thing that could happen is that Arsenal get out of their group in the Europa League and Napoli somehow end up in the Europa League. Oh my goodness. After, after messing up the group and then they play Arsenal in the knockout and be like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> They've got a goal difference of plus 11 after three games in a group containing Liverpool, Ajax and Rangers. <laughs> They're amazing. In a group containing Liverpool, Ajax and Rangers. <laughs> oh my goodness. They're legit. They're so legit. They are legit. So that's all the Champions League for now. Mm. This weekend, there's some big games though in Germany. Dortmund Bayern, Saturday night. Yes, yes. Dun, dun, dun. Also, the biggest story in Germany, Lars Windhorst. He's offered Hertha the chance to buy back the shares that he bought for 374 million euros. And he commented saying that uh, the president, Kay Bernstein, this is from a great piece on BundesligaFan.com, by the way, uh, was, quote, clearly not interested in a trusting and serious cooperation trusting and serious cooperation from a guy who's been investigated for hiring an Israeli spy company. <laughs> but where's that Lars? He, it looks like he's, he's on the way out. There was a, another quote saying, our economic but also our sporting goals are so unreachable and thus the very basis of our commitment to Hertha BSC has been destroyed. 
That is why we end our commitment to Hertha BSC and officially offer the association to buy back our majority shares in the amount of 64.7% at the previous purchase price. I'm just going to chalk this down to a midlife crisis for Windhorst. Yeah, maybe. It's super weird. All of this is super weird. You spend all this money, you conduct surveillance, a corporate (laughs) surveillance firm on a board member, and then you leave within a few... It's, it's bizarre. Like, what are you doing any of this for? Like, really, it's so, so strange. Like, what was, what was the end game at any one point? What was the goal? What was the... I just don't get it. It's, and it, the sad thing is, like, you know, Hertha, a big club, and it's embarrassing. It's humiliating for, for fans. It's just... Do you know what I mean? Like, what's the strategy? Where's the care? Where's the duty of care? Mm. Where's the, what's the legacy? Because, you know, it's easy to, like, you know, just... It's ridiculous. It's absurd, all of it. And it, it's kind of your club. It's never like, it's never nice when your club is a laughing stock. But I look at this and I look at the strategy and I think, hang on a minute, you were like a business genius or whatever. You made your money in that world. But for someone that made their money, apparently has a strategic mind, how on earth did you really think this was going to end? It's bizarre, isn't it? It's just genuinely bizarre. It's bizarre. On a human level. I don't get it. I don't get it. Other than he was just trying to, I don't know, feel something. I don't know. I don't know. It's about to get a lot worse for them because they host Freiburg on the weekend. Yeah, and that is a team that has its act together on and off the field. Um, so yeah, but just want to say good luck to her to with the rebuild because that's, um, that's a tough one. A yeah, tough definitely. One. Uh, should we bounce? Let's do it. All right, man. We hope everyone is staying safe, staying well, and uh, obviously check Wright's House if you haven't already. Don't forget to check Moose's piece on The Ringer, theringer.com forward slash soccer. And the Stadio Outros plays on Spotify, speaking of which, we're playing out on Tune by Mad Teo called Since Man Crawled Out of the Slime. <laughs> Anything you want to add, Musa Kwonga? No, I think I'm good, actually. I'm good. Just me and my couscous salad. Just oh, advertising. God. Listen. Me and my Mediterranean couscous salad and I. People can, listen, no, people complain, oh, roll next season too early, salad season too late. I'm just, maybe I'm just a contrarian. Or maybe you're just consistently getting your timings wrong. <laughs> Either or. <sighs> God, the third dark turn of the podcast. (laughs) Wow. Uh, On that note. Yes, on that note. All right, everyone, much love. Have a lovely weekend. We'll be back with you on Monday. See you then.